Welcome to the Sunday Sermon Podcast of First United Methodist Church in Opelika. We'd love for you to join us for worship each Sunday at 9 o'clock or 10.30 a.m. To learn more about First United Methodist, visit us online at fumcopelika.org or follow us on Instagram or Facebook at fumcopelika. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, So if you've got your Bible with you, uh, go ahead and uh, turn to Acts chapter 20. Uh, Acts chapter 20, that's where we're going to be this morning. Uh, Starting at verse 17, I'm going to be reading from the Common English Translation of the Bible. And uh, as you are able, I will invite you to stand uh, for the reading of God's Word. From Acts chapter 20, starting at verse 17. From Miletus, he sent a message to Ephesus, calling for the church's elders to meet him. When they arrived, he said to them, You know how I lived among you the whole time I was with you, beginning with the first day I arrived in the province of Asia. I served the Lord with great humility and with tears in the midst of trials that came upon me because of the Jews' schemes. You know I held back nothing that would be helpful so that I could proclaim to you and teach you both publicly and privately in your homes. You know I have testified to both Jews and Greeks that they must change their hearts and lives as they turn to God and have faith in our Lord Jesus. Now compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem. I don't know what will happen to me there. What I do know is that the Holy Spirit testifies to me from city to city that prisons and troubles await me, but nothing not even my life is more important than my completing my mission. This is nothing other than the ministry I received from the Lord Jesus to testify about the good news of God's grace. And then in verse 32, And now I entrust you to God and the message of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all whom God has made holy. I haven't craved anyone's silver, gold, or clothing. You yourselves know that I have provided for my own needs and for those of my companions with my own hands. In everything, I have shown you that by working hard, we must help the weak. In this way, we remember the Lord Jesus' words, it is more blessed to give than to receive. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. And let us pray. Living God, speak to me. Speak through me. If necessary, speak in spite of me, but always beyond me. And God, as you speak, give to us open ears, soft hearts, and courageous minds, that we might be shaped by your word and our lives might be ordered according to your wisdom which orders all things for good. Hear this, our prayer in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Well, friends, this morning uh, we are wrapping up our sermon series that we've been calling Unselfish, a Serving in a Selfie World. And for the last few weeks, Nolan and I have been uh, making the case that we live in a selfie world. A world that is obsessed with the self, a world that is obsessed with the image of the self that we project out to others. Uh, You might say it this way, 
Our world is obsessed with self-promotion. Self-promotion. In fact, uh, this week I was curious, uh, so I googled self-promotion just to see what came up. And on the first page, I found article after article after article uh, teaching you how to get ahead in life through self-promotion. And so I wrote down a few of the many articles that I saw. I think we'll have these on the screen. Uh, The first one came from the Harvard Business Review, and it was titled, Savvy Self-Promotion. So not only do we need to be self-promoters, but we need to be savvy at it. Uh, The next one came from the website Fast Company. It was called, The Art of Self-Promotion. So apparently, uh, self-promotion is not a science, but an art. We may call it a soft skill. Then uh, Forbes magazine had an article that said, self-promotion as a leadership skill. Think about that. Self-promotion as a leadership skill. I don't really know how I feel about that. And then my personal favorite came from an entrepreneur, uh, five tips for practicing self-promotion without being totally annoying, (laughs) right? We all know that person. The general consensus online is that self-promotion is a skill that we should all be getting really good at. The problem is, if you want to follow Jesus, if you want to be a follower of Jesus, the life of a follower of Jesus is diametrically opposed to a self-centered, self-interested, self-promoting way of life. And this isn't news to you. Uh, You know this. I mean, Jesus said it himself. He said, if you want to follow me, you must first promote yourself. It's in the Bible somewhere, right? Now, he said, if you want to follow me, you must first deny yourself. Uh, Elsewhere in the Gospels, in in Matthew chapter 20, uh, Jesus says, whoever wishes to be great among you must be a self-promoter. What does he say? He says, whoever wishes to be great among you must be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And to give his life a ransom of many. In other words, as Christians, a serving isn't just something that we are called to do, but as followers of Jesus, a servant is who we are called to be. Let me say that again. A serving is not just something we are called to do. A servant is who we are called to be. Friends, the antidote to our selfie sickness is selfless service. And so to unpack this a little bit more, uh, we're going to look today at the life of Paul. Uh, We're going to take a closer look at his farewell address uh, that he gives to the leaders at the church in Ephesus. It's found in in Acts chapter 20. In the scripture you heard read, uh, we started at verse 17, uh, but I actually want to back up one verse uh, to verse 6. Here's what it says. It says, Paul had decided uh, to sail past Ephesus so that he wouldn't need to spend too much time in the province of Asia. He was hurrying to reach Jerusalem, if possible, by Pentecost Day. 
Now, there's a few things I want you to note here. Uh, the first is that Paul wishes to be back in Jerusalem uh, for Pentecost. Friends, this is your friendly pastoral reminder that Pentecost is next Sunday, and you should make plans to be here like Paul. It's biblical. But the other thing I want you to see is that Paul is always on the move. Paul is always on the move. Among the other things in Acts, Acts records three of Paul's missionary journeys. And throughout the book, he is constantly traveling from place to place. I actually found a map. Uh, you might be able to see it if you're sitting up front. A map of his missionary journeys. He is all over the place. The man never sits still. Uh, he lives his life on the move. And in fact, from the moment of his conversion, uh, Paul is always on the move going from place to place, serving others, planting churches, proclaiming the good news. From the moment of his conversion, in fact, the first thing Jesus tells Paul, go. Go. Go into the city. I have someone there waiting for you. Paul's first, or Jesus' first word to Paul is go. And from that point forward, Paul lives a life that is sent. A life that is sent. And so friends, how do we become servants in a selfie world? I think the first thing we have to realize, if you're taking notes, you can write this down, it'll be on the exam. Uh, the first thing we have to realize is that we are meant to be sent. Uh, we are meant to be sent. We see this in the life of Paul. We see this time and time again in the Gospels, that whenever Jesus calls you to him, it is almost always for the purpose of sending you away from him. We are meant to be sent. Uh, one of my uh, dearest friends and colleagues in ministry, uh, he serves as the chaplain at Huntington College. And we were roommates together at Duke, uh, but now he serves as the chaplain at Huntington College. And every year he teaches a class uh, called Introduction to the New Testament. Well, a few years back, uh, he had a scheduling conflict, and he asked if I would come and guest lecture one day uh, on the Gospel of Mark. And so I agreed and showed up, drove to Montgomery, and before the class, the students were assigned to read the Gospel of Mark in its entirety. Uh, so I show up to the classroom to teach, and I, I introduce myself, and then I say, hey, you've all read the Gospel of Mark. Uh, before we jump in today, uh, are there any patterns, any themes that you notice in the gospel? Zombie-like stares. So I'm like, okay, let's, let, let's try another question. I said, did anything in the gospel of Mark surprise you? Did anything in the gospel of Mark uh, catch you off guard? Uh, finally, uh, one brave student raised his hand, and he said, you know, it really bothered me how the whole thing began. Can you say more? He said, yeah, you know, Jesus begins his ministry, and the first thing he does is he calls these 12 yokels who've got no theological training, and then you read the rest of the book, and you find out they don't even have any talent for being disciples. I mean, if Jesus is God, and he wants to change the world, why doesn't he just snap his fingers and change the world? I said, I gather you've never worked with Jesus before. Uh, this is how he gets stuff done. 
There's just something about the kind of God that Jesus is that he chooses not to be God without you. He chooses not to be God without you. Such that every time Jesus says in the Gospels, come unto me, that always seems to be balanced by Jesus saying, go, get out of here. Don't just hang around Judea. I own it all. I want it all back. And guess who's going to get it for me? Go, make disciples, baptize them, teach them everything I've commanded you. Go, go, go. In Scripture, a salvation is always linked to vocation. Because we are meant to be sent. We're meant to be sent, which is, by the way, is why you cannot hire a Methodist preacher. We are sent to you. Because we believe that, that all Christians are sent. Uh, when I was in divinity school, uh, we were required to uh, complete so many units of what they called field education. And so uh, every year, they would send students out to serve at various churches. And so one summer, uh, they sent me to serve at First United Methodist Church in Birmingham, Michigan. Uh, not Alabama, uh, Birmingham, Michigan. And this was a very large church uh, in an affluent suburb of Detroit. And this church had a long-standing partnership with a nonprofit in the inner city uh, that provided meals, uh, temporary housing, medical care, job training, uh, you name it, uh, to the homeless population in inner city Detroit. Uh, in fact, uh, with the help of local Methodist churches, uh, this ministry serves about 700,000 meals a year. 700,000 a year. So one Wednesday, I drove into Detroit uh, to help serve lunch at this nonprofit. And after the lunch was served, I noticed a gentleman that I recognized from the church. And this man was elbow deep in soapy water washing dishes. And I'm going to be honest, I would never say this in Michigan, but I'll say it to you because you don't know these people. I was surprised to see him there. He was the last person I expected to see there. Because I had met this guy. His name was Joe. He was a retired attorney. I knew him to be gruff and grumpy. You know the argumentative type, right? Uh, he was the kind of church member that would always find something to complain about. Now, I assure you, we don't have any of those people here. <laughs> uh, but amazingly, uh, there he was, washing dishes after serving lunch to the homeless. And so I said to him, hey, Joe, you know, this is wonderful. I just think it's great what you're doing. Middle of the day, you could be anywhere, but here you are washing dishes for the homeless. Joe, Joe that's just beautiful. And then I said, have you always enjoyed working with the homeless? Joe looked at me and he said, who said I enjoyed working with the homeless? He said, have you met the homeless? I mean, some of them are uh, addicted, others of them have criminal records, and most of them are homeless because nobody wants them at home. I was kind of <laughs> taken aback by this and didn't quite know how to respond, so I just said, well, I, I guess that's all the more amazing that here you are, washing dishes for the How did you get here? And Joe looked at me and he said, Jesus put me here. How did you get to Michigan? 
we are meant to be sent. In our scripture passage today, we get a glimpse at Paul's life in Ephesus. Paul was sent to Ephesus to help the church there, and in our scripture, he's giving what I'm calling a farewell address to the leaders of the church. Ephesus is a place where he spent a considerable amount of time, somewhere between two and three years. But not only that, in Acts 19, we're told that Paul lectured every day in the hall of Tyrannus for two years. Think about that. Paul preached and taught day after day after day after day for two years. And then we're told that there were many evenings where, where Paul would go into the homes of Christians and new converts and meet with them privately. What I want you to see is that Paul is literally spending his life for the sake of the gospel. But Paul is spending his life. He's giving it away for the sake of the gospel. And so in Acts 20, uh, he's preparing to leave and he's addressing the leaders and this is what he says. He says, from Miletus, uh, he sent a message to Ephesus calling to the church elders to meet him. When they arrived, he said to them, you know how I lived among you the whole time I was with you, beginning with the first day I arrived in the province of Asia. I served the Lord with great humility and with tears in the midst of trials that came upon me because of the Jews' schemes. You know, watch this, I held back nothing that would be helpful. I held back nothing that would be helpful so that I could proclaim to you and teach you both publicly and privately in your homes. You know, I testified to both Jews and Greeks that they must change their hearts and lives as they turn to God and have faith in our Lord Jesus. Now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem I don't know what will happen to me there. What I do know is that the Holy Spirit testifies to me from city to city that prisons and troubles await me. Uh, Paul, I would not be in a hurry. But what does he say? But nothing, not even my life, is more important than completing my mission. Now, here's the second thing I want us to see today. If we want to be servants in a selfie world, the first is to know that we are meant to be sent, and the second is this, we are meant to be spent. We are meant to be spent. Now, uh, lately I've noticed a trend, and perhaps you've noticed this as well, uh, and I suspect this has been true for a while, but I've noticed it in particular over the last uh, six months or so. It seems like over the last six months, uh, I've noticed that in my conversations, uh, conversations with colleagues, conversations with friends, conversations with many of you, I've noticed that in my conversations, it doesn't take very long for a certain word to make an appearance in that conversation. And that word is tired. Tired. How's it going? Oh, we're good. You know, life is good. A little crazy, but, it's, you know, it's all good. No, no, really. How's it going? Oh, well, if I'm being honest, I'm tired. It seems like everyone I talk to lately is tired. Can anyone relate to that? I mean, I certainly can't. I just got back from vacation, and I need a vacation from my vacation. But the truth is, oh, we all have different reasons for being tired, Maybe work has been crazy lately. 
And maybe you spend all your free time caring for an aging parent or loved one. Uh, Maybe your kids' spring schedules were a bit overstuffed. Like you've got three kids, but on most days it feels like you have five. Or maybe you simply turn on the news, hear the headlines, and you're emotionally tired. But as I began to think about this, I realized that not all tired is the same, right? You know this. Uh, There's good tired and there's bad tired. There's good tired that comes from knowing you spent your life or you spent the last week of your life on things that matter. There's good tired that comes from knowing you spent the last week of your life on something of significance, something beautiful, something eternal, uh, something of consequence, something that matters. But then there's also bad tired. It's the kind of tired where you look back on the week and you're not even really sure what you did. You just feel worn out. Has anybody ever been there? It's the kind of bad tired where you get to the end of the week and you feel drained. Drained. So here's the deal. Now, uh, whenever somebody tells me that they're tired, I ask a follow-up question. Is it good tired or bad tired? Are you spent... Or are you drained? Are you spent? Or are you drained? Uh, I've got this water bottle here. Uh, you didn't know it was going to be a prop. I didn't either until right now. Uh, so here we go. Um, but, but imagine you're, you're driving in the car, you've got kids in the back, and they're thirsty. Uh, so you hand them a, a water bottle or something to drink, and they spill it, as kids are prone to do. Or maybe you're traveling on a trip, you're at the airport, you've got water in your bag or your backpack, and you go to get the water out, and you realize, "Uh uh-oh, there's a large, dark stain on your bag, and you're like, "My, my books are ruined or my clothes are wet. And you don't know how it happened. Maybe there was a crack in the water bottle. Maybe you didn't screw the top on tight enough. Uh, But the water is gone. The bottle was drained, right? But spent, spent is different. A spent is, uh, it's a hot summer day in Alabama. I'm thirsty. Does anybody have some water? <sighs> Thank you. Spent is different. And in both cases, the water is gone. In both cases, the bottle is empty, but one bottle was drained and the other bottle was spent to quench someone's thirst. As followers of Jesus, I believe that we are meant to be spent. We are meant to be spent. And this is what Paul realized. Uh, Look at what he said in verse 20, Acts 20, 20. He says, I held back nothing that would be helpful. I held back nothing, spent. Nothing, not even my life is more important than completing my mission, spent. Paul realized that our lives are meant to be spent, but the truth is our world does not live this way. This is so antithetical to our selfie world. Our selfie world is all about comfort and convenience and our desires. Our selfie world always tells us, you know, hold back a little. 
Save some for yourself. Make sure you conserve enough energy. Make sure you balance your schedule. After all, you've got to get your golf times in. So save some for yourself. Don't give it all away. You can serve Jesus, but don't go overboard. Some of you are like, I love Jesus, but I prefer him in moderation. Paul is pleading with the Ephesians elders to realize that their lives are meant to be sent because when Jesus calls you to himself, it's for the purpose of sending you out. And that means, friends, there is an assignment on your life. That your calling is not to say yes to Jesus and then take up space. Your calling is to be a part of the family of God, to be a part of the body of Christ, to find a way to live your lives and spend your life in obedience to Jesus. Look with me at uh, verse 32. I think it all hinges on this. He says, Now I entrust you to God and the message of his grace which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all whom God has made holy. I haven't craved anyone's silver, gold, or clothing. You yourselves know that I have provided for my own needs and for those of my companions with my own hands. In everything I have shown you that by working hard, we must help the weak. In this way, we remember the Lord Jesus' words, it is more blessed to give than to receive. What's the very first thing Paul says here? He says, I am entrusting you to God and the message of his what? I'm not on TV. You can respond. The message of his what? His grace. And so how is it that we can live lives that are sent and spent for the sake of others? We have to have had an encounter with God's grace. We have to know God's grace for us. We are sent to spend ourselves on others because of what God has done for us. Because Christ spent his life for us. That there is just something about catching a glimpse of the grace of God that leads us into an extravagantly generous life. Right? Freely you have received, freely you give. Now, Inevitably, some of you are sitting here thinking, Patrick, I get it, this is great, serving others, yeah, 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 living sent, living spent, extravagant generosity. Isn't that what we pay you for? And perhaps others of you are thinking, I hear what you're saying, Patrick, but listen, you don't know my life. I'm running on empty. My life is in a constant state of low battery mode. I'm tired. And if that's you, I would ask you to do some evaluating. Is it good tired or bad tired? Are you drained or are you spent? Because the truth is, there is no way we can spend our lives on others if we're drained. There's no way we can spend our lives on others if we're drained. We have to be filled with God's grace. So we are sent to spend our lives because of what Christ has done for us. And the second thing is this. We spend our lives uh, for the sake of others because of what Christ has done for them. Now this is trickier. Because when you realize that Christ didn't just spend his life for you, but he spent his life for the sake of the world, well, that changes things. 
You walk around with new eyes. You see people differently. You see people uh, in your community, maybe even folks in the church today, and you realize these are not just people who irritate me. These are not just people who try my patience. These are not just people with whom I disagree. These are people for whom Christ died. These are people for whom Christ shed his own blood. These are people for whom Christ spent his life. You've heard me say this many times before, but the truth of the gospel is that Christ died for sinners, only sinners. There is no one who is excluded from the company of sinners, which means there is no one who is excluded from the company of people for whom Christ died. Richard Baxter was an English Puritan church leader in the 1600s. And there's this quote, I really wrestled with whether or not to share this. I really didn't want to share it because then I knew I would be convicted again. And I'm here to convict you, not convict me, right? It's my job. But the Holy Spirit has his way. And so I'm like, okay, Patrick, you need to hear this too. Uh, So here we go. This is what he said. He said, let us hear these arguments from Christ. Whenever we feel ourselves grow dull and careless, you might say it this way, whenever we feel drained. I died for these souls. Will you not look after them? They were worth my blood. Are they not worth your labor? And the one that punched me in the gut, I came down from heaven to earth. Will you not go next door? If we want to be servants in a selfie world, we have to realize that our lives are meant to be sent and our lives are meant to be spent. The gospel calls us into an extravagantly generous way of life. So here's what I know. Uh, Some of you walked into church this morning feeling drained. And you came here this morning uh, seeking comfort and consolation. And right now, you're a little annoyed because the preacher gave you an assignment. And if that's you this morning, my prayer is that you would come to know the extravagant generosity of God. That when you feel drained, you would turn to God's grace and know that there is more than enough that there is more generosity than you can receive, that there is so much grace, it is so lavish that it almost seems wasteful, that in Christ there is extravagant generosity. And so my prayer for you is that you would be filled to the brim with God's self-giving love. I get it. It's hard. It's not what you came here for. I didn't really want to preach it either, if I'm honest. But we're called to serve in a selfie world. We're called to deny ourselves in a world of self-promotion. Is it really making a difference, we say to ourselves? Do I have anything left to give? Trust me when I tell you that in God's economy, nothing is wasted. In God's economy, there is always enough. In God's economy, we say, if Christ has lavished his love on me, and if Christ has lavished his love for them, so will I. So will I. So will I. We are meant to be sent. And we're meant to be spent. Let us pray. 
Lord Jesus Christ, fill us with your grace. By the power of your Holy Spirit, fill us with your extravagant generosity. Fill us with your self-giving love so that we can have something to give. So that we can offer the world your gospel, your good news. Lord, help us to be a people who are sent to spend our lives on others. May we be found faithful. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.